Welcome to Broadway's Backbone with Brad Bradley, a podcast dedicated to the men and women of the ensemble, the chorus of dancers, singers, and actors that are the foundation of every Broadway musical. These often unsung gypsies are the hardest working people on the boards and are, well, Broadway's Backbone. Welcome to episode 86. My guest is Matt Lair. Well, good morning. I'm sitting here with Matt Lair. Yeah. But it's Matt Lair, but well look, said. Thank you very much. Well it looks said. like it's lore. 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 I get. I get. I do get lore most mostly. Yeah. Because it's L O E H R, and you look at the O and the E and the H, and you're like, oh, I'm, okay. Oh, I'll go with the O. Lore. Lore. But, but it's, it's German. And I think, is it the umlaut? Like, I can never pronounce, whatever that German accent is, is probably missing that makes it like the O-E-H in air. So. Oh, is that the two dots? Yes, I think so. Ah. Mm, I'm sorry, I don't hope, hope I don't sound stupid right now saying that, but I think, yeah. Yeah. And that's what makes it layer. Yeah. Not layer. Yeah. Yes. And we're sitting here in the luxurious Holiday Inn Express. Uh, my suite. <laughs> my suite. Sacramento. Not one bed, two beds. Two beds. Two beds, thank you. Sacramento Th- Music Circuit. Thank you, Agent. Yeah. <laughs> when you've worked here seven times, you get two beds. Two beds. Wait, I have two oh, beds. No. Oh, it's only shit. my second time. Oh, can I say shit? Yes, you can okay. say shit. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm so excited that you're doing this because I'll gush a little bit, but I'm a, I've been a huge fan of yours for a really long time, so I'm excited that we're finally working together. But you're also just exceptional, and you're very kind. So I know that like what you have to share will be inspiring, but also real because it's coming from a kind place. Why do you say right back at you? Because I don't think I've ever even told you this. I've been saving it for the podcast. Is when <laughs> I saw you in Thou Shalt Not, and I was so taken with you, you and Joanne, because you you, you were you were that yeah. couple. I, I'm forgetting what the names you were, but I really like. I just loved your energy on stage. I loved your energy as an actor, and I loved your energy as a couple, and then you guys danced, obviously, beautifully. Right. And I remember used to seeing you, because we lived in Astoria. Yes. And I would see you all the time. All the time. Out there on Astoria. So, yes. yes. Right back at you. Well, I thank basically. you very much. Wow, you're one of the three people that saw that show, Matt. I think I saw it three times. Too. What? Yeah, we got free tickets a lot. I don't know what I'm talking about. No, that is it. <laughs> we were, I was doing producers during the time, oh, so right. like, you know, we yes. got we got to go to dress, I think, and then they were like giving tickets away, and I, yeah. yeah, yeah, they're constantly giving. Tickets no, I know <laughs> it was a it was a rough time for theater in general, it's, and that nature that show was really dark. It was. So. Someone else saw when Dance of the Vampires came out. They were like, "Oh, you must be so happy that show came out." <laughs> they're like, "Now thou shalt not isn't the worst show ever." <laughs> It's like, oh wow, you guys are amazing. But there's, wait, is Thou Shalt Not on the Sardis wall? Uh, not Sardis. You know, there's the there's, oh, yes. there's the wall of, of flops yes. that's at... Joe um, Allen's. Joe Allen's, Jesus. It's okay. actually not because it was a Lincoln Center subscription, so oh, it actually okay. fulfilled its four-month run, even though the houses were empty. Yeah. Um, it, like, was locked in, so it's it's not... And it's not-for-profit, so it's not considered... Joe Allen's has to be a financial loss. Gotcha. That's why... Okay. Yes. So Lincoln Center saved us. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I feel like... I was like that would, in some ways, I think it would be amazing to be on that wall. Of, is it, you know Daniel Breaker? I did, do, yes. Um, I did Mormon with Daniel, and first of all, he's just ridiculously talented and so funny, but his, one of his things he told me, it's like, one of my greatest claims to fame is that I'm on a poster on that side, because there was a play called The Performers that was like about the adult entertainment. Oh, yes, it, yes, yes. It lasted for like... Shia made, Jackson. Yes. 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 It lasted for like a week. Daniel was in it, and he's like, he's like, we made the wall. Oh, uh, yeah, Alicia Silverstone. <laughs> yes. Henry yeah. Winkler, even. I mean, I kind of, it's a good story. Yeah. It's a good story. Yeah, yeah. to be on that wall. Yeah, so be proud of Thou Shalt Not, oh, and I, know that there was someone in the audience 
audience appreciating your performance well, at I, least three times. Well, I thank you very much. <laughs> and it made Norbert Leo Butz a star, put him he on was, the map. Oh my God, he was awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he was awesome in that. So I got to understudy him, which is great, because we'll talk about that, understudying amazing people. You just steal oh. from them constantly. Oh my God, yeah. Learn from it, yeah. yeah. Learn from the best. Yeah. Right? yeah, so that's like, I love understudying. I do too, mostly. Yeah. Well, we'll get into it. Not, any, not anymore. <laughs> we'll so I want to just read your Bowie credits, which are unbelievable. The producers, Moving Out, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Mary Poppins, Promises, Promises, Evita, Posse, Elf the Musical, Book of Mormon, Off Broadway. You did red, yeah, which you dyed your hair red. I saw you on the Insta tweet and on Encores. Call me Madam, and most recently, High Button Shoes. Yeah, yes. So, where are you from, and how did you get started? Okay, I was born and raised in Mobile, Alabama. I'm the only Southerner in the family. My mom is from Racine, Wisconsin. My dad's from Denver, Colorado, and they met getting their master's in film at NYU. So naturally, you go to Mobile, Alabama after that. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's like, what's everyone's dream? <laughs> Short story, my dad took a teaching position at a Jesuit college there called Spring Hill College, and he taught there for over 35 years, just recently retired, and I was born there. Um, and, you know, went through public school there, found this community theater that was down the street from where I live that was a children's theater, and this fantastic mentor who taught acting class there, formed a little high school rep company where we read, like, An Actor Prepares, and then we did we just did a bunch of, like, family musicals, like Wizard of Oz, Town of Music, yeah. all that kind of stuff. Nothing too meaty, I would say. We saved that for our acting classes, because it was Mobile, Alabama. Yeah. <laughs> They're not really going to go, like, even Into the Woods, I think, would have been challenging. Oh. But then it was advised to sort of take dance, and I took, I started taking dance... I went to a high school that offered, it was a magnet school, so it offered uh, dance classes there. And then my dance teacher was like, you gotta get, we gotta get you into ballet. And there was a Mobile Ballet Company with a fantastic artistic director, Winter Corey at the time, who danced with National Ballet of Canada. Put, I was a guy, they're like, grab you, we'll put you on scholarship because yeah. no guys take. And I got a really fast, intense amount of training in my high school years that all of a sudden put me on a, fairly high level for musical theater dance technically I guess right. by the time I had graduated high school and yeah. did you take to ballet straight away because I no. no I no I felt so awkward I mean I kind of all dance in some ways I just remember like look at like shoulders felt bad I'd done gymnastics early on as a kid so I had back flexibility mm. and coordination I played piano too so like I, I definitely had decent coordination skills but I remember like my freshman year, uh, into mid sophomore year, just like looking at myself in the mirror, thinking like, I mean, your body's forming at that age anyway, so you kind of just don't like the way you look in general. Yeah. And then to be in dance class and being the only guy and just looking at yourself, like, why do I look like this? I was like, I hate this. And it's like, ballet, you gotta stick with it. And finally, after about, uh, once I got into like, mid-junior year they brought guest artists in to do their big ballets and they did a production of swan lake in my junior year and it was a joffrey too did you ever hear about that it was like the sort of you know there's like alvin ailey dance oh yes ailey too yes it was like the joffrey version of that they had like eight different guest artists there men and women and then two principals from joffrey ballet to play the swan queen and the, and the prince and they were so inspiring and so sad and it, and it really matters i think when you can see someone like five feet away from you yeah. dancing something so masculine or so graceful and i go like 
and it just like it lit a fire in me more to be like okay you know what if i work harder now and just keep at it you know keep trying to straighten my knees keep trying you know all these things that you keep hearing all the time i want to do that now because i was never i didn't think about ballet as a kid but then i started to recognize the major value it is technically in terms of just completing line right and you know and how it really doesn't matter as a dancer and so after seeing that i wanted to fight for it and then so i was wow. determined yeah yeah well so were you teased at all for being a little ballet boy it in mobile weird no no i had I, I mean you'd think it would be yeah. like an awful experience because but no and i think some of the reason why is the magnet school that i went to was like half magnet it was a school that you would still if you were in that district you went to that school and it was in an african-american neighborhood so my high school was probably 90 percent black and maybe five percent white and five percent other right and that was the greatest high school experience i could have ever asked for because it was just one, it's different, like, more eye-opening being a minority right. in a class, and so it gives you a better perspective, but, like, it was the most joyous, appreciative. We did ballet in the gym, and if you were good, they they were, like, all about it, and oh, I nice. never, I really never, I never got teased. I, I don't know how. I don't okay, know. this podcast is over. You're I, done. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I don't have the trauma. I had, like, a decent upbringing. <laughs> oh, I, that's, that's, fanta- that's fantastic. I mean, plenty of drama happened later in life. Oh, you know, right. you got in the real world. But like, oh, what is with... my purpose? I have no confidence. Oh, my God. <laughs> you know, but but surprisingly, my formative years were were, were decent. Yeah. Well, no, no, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, where did you start? Because you have an incredible singing voice. I know dance is your primary focus, but also when you sing, you're just like, it's unbelievable. Did that come as well at that age? I was thinking about this in advance, you know, when he gave me some of the questions earlier. I was like, well, music has always, I think, was my first love in terms mm. of expression. And whether it was through, you know, listening to records and all these different kind of voices and then playing piano. And then I learned what, if I wasn't afraid that I could sing oh, when I was about 11. And then my voice started cracking. I was like, I, I was obsessed with the Calm Wilkinson Jekyll and Hyde concept album. Yes, I love that album. I was too. obsessed with it, and I could sing it, and I could, but I could sing it for like a month. <laughs> and then I remember trying to sing it in like those high notes, and, and I was like, and just totally crashed and burned. We couldn't really afford voice lessons, so I didn't know how to technically handle that. I just hmm. thought, oh. Well, when you become a teenager, your voice cracks, and maybe you just won't have a high voice. But my speaking voice was still really high. <laughs> so it's like, I don't understand why this doesn't work. Um, uh, so, but it wasn't until I got to New York with a show after touring for a while that I started taking private voice lessons. And I had this great teacher named Steve Sweetland for 10 years who I connected to what he was talking about. It actually was the first time, like, his voice seemed so, I don't know what the correct adjective to describe it was like. Like, with dance, I could understand, your leg has to be straight, this has to happen. With voice, it seemed more like, you have to magically think this, and you have to, and I had, the year I spent in college, one year I spent in college, it was a grad student who was lovely teaching me. She was like, spin, everything has to keep spinning, spinning, spinning. And I had no idea what she was talking about with the voice. So I'm like literally picturing a spider web spinning in my throat <laughs> and have no idea what to do. But he made sense to me and I started to get more confident that way. 
And then he moved away to California uh, in LA. And then I sort of reconnected, uh, not reconnected, I've connected with a new voice teacher in the last few years, Matt Farnsworth. Oh, yes. Who is like unreal. Yes, I, mean, I took he, one of his protégés. He, oh, oh, they're great. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he's just like, I feel like my voice has drastically changed in the last year and a half. Mm. Because, and I, I, again, I can like understand what he's saying. It doesn't feel foreign. I don't feel as afraid. Right. So I, just, I don't know why. Like, do you, do you feel this way? Maybe because, like, if you have a lot of dance training and you're physical, it feels easier, at least for me, to put myself out there physically first as opposed to vocally. Oh, absolutely. It, you know, yeah. but I, I mean, but if you look at it logically, I don't get why, you know, if you fall on your face, <laughs> dance, I mean, it's still a big it's, fall. Yeah, exactly. It's no different than if you crack on a note, but... It, Cracking on a note was way more terrifying to me. Yeah. Well, for me, it was always the... We were told that we, we couldn't sing. I mean, we were like... There's that. So, so it's right. like... and I think You're when, a dancer. You're a dancer. And right. then when I people did hear me sing, it wasn't like, oh, you did great. They're like, oh, wow. I, I didn't realize you could... Shocker. Sing. It's a shocking. You know, when it's... You're just like, what? It's why is that shocking? You know what I mean? Where uh, when a singer moves, you're not like, oh, look at them. You know what I mean? They're just... I don't know, they're a higher echelon in the world of people's viewpoints. Yes, well there does seem, and I don't know why this is too, because it takes a lot of brain power and obviously a lot of skill to be a dancer, but there is some sort of stereotype that like dancer, like in my mind like dancers aren't as deep or as intelligent, you know, you know, because you just have to, you know, it's like you get barked at and you just do what you're supposed to do, but it's so much more than that. So much it's more. It's so much more, and, and I don't like that. So I want to challenge that. Yeah. Why? Well, did you watch the Fosse Verdon special? I did. There's just one moment when Gwen Verdon, when they say to her, "Can you do a play? Can you only just act?" She's oh. like, "Just do one thing at the same time." Yeah. She's like, "Yeah." She's like, as opposed to singing, dancing, and acting. She's like, "Yeah, I think I can handle doing one." Yeah. And it's so like even that was even her husband that was like, "Oh, can you get out of that box?" And it's so funny. It's like, yes. Yeah. It, it's weird because uh, of course I feel the exact same way about that but then I've gone on these thought I'll overthink everything but I will go on these things of like oh with musical theater I become like jack of all trades master of none you know it's like you have to you know you have to do this well enough you have to sing this well enough but like you know in terms of classical ballet like I can't do swan like you know I don't I can't push my body that far because right. I still have to be able to sing and and push that range when I'm like I can't do opera because of this and I understand in terms of especially I guess taught for two years at an acting conservatory mm. and I got a little bit more insight into that rigorous training and in some and I go okay yeah like the to push deeper on that level I I get that why some people think maybe musical theater actors can't do that because of all the other elements that have to come into play. But I also always want to challenge anybody's idea of that. And so it is true. It's like, it is only one skill. Yeah. But like, yeah, it just means then you can devote more time to really getting deeper into that skill. Like if you only had to dance and you didn't have to, like if you're the girl in the yellow dress in contact. Right. You know, arguably, you know, that's just for that job you're just gonna then really immerse yourself into like how do you express yourself most fully through that which is a long-winded answer of me basically saying like no you're not jack of all trades master of none when you do musical theater it just depends on what you're asked to do with each given project yeah and yeah. how you can 
divide your energies to make everything work. Yeah, and which which roles require what? Right. And, you know, it's yeah, it's all about the when you get cast in a certain role, you're gonna invest in that if it's fifteen skills or if it's one. Right. Exactly. Well, right. Now, now you gotta play a musical instrument. Yeah. You know, I'm like, yeah. how many skills does one have to have I to know. be employed? But I do think the the discipline of of being a dancer, we ad- adapt to other things really quickly. I. Couldn't agree with you more. You know, I couldn't agree with you. Yes, you yeah. Know. And you deal with, like, you push through pain, like, like discomfort better is probably the word, I guess. It's yeah. not pain. It's like, because it's such a physical demand and it's a mental demand, I think dancers can be more adaptable at acquiring their skills because of just the work ethic involved. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think. So what show took you to New York? So you went to college just for a year? I went to college just for a year. Um, stay in school, kids. Um, <laughs> everybody's path is different. Um, I, was, I literally, I I was at CCM, the Cincinnati Conservatory of mm. Music. It was great. I had an amazing experience. I did get mononucleosis uh, in the middle of it, so I couldn't complete my spring quarter. I was just just too tired. Yeah, and and all of a sudden something. I said maybe I. Maybe I want to take a break from school. Like, I, I basically left as I was possibly going to take a year off. Mm. And I just, I really can't, it just, something switched inside of me. of like, maybe you're going to get more out of taking a break. I possibly thought about going into a purely dance track and, like, maybe I'll apply for a Juilliard for dance. Mm. Maybe that's what I want. Like, I recognized even there that my asset was more as a trained dancer. And I was started to wonder, I'm like, am I going to grow in the way that I hope to grow there? And I wasn't sure. So I thought, well, take some time off. But I got a job. I got a job at the St. Louis Muni. Oh, okay. And one of the shows I did was a cut dancer for Chorus Line. And the music director, Fran Lieberthal, who was involved in that, was also about to set a new tour of a Chorus Line. And they had just lost their mic. So I was right place, right time. Oh, nice. Auditioned for them. They hired me. I started the next day after the Muni finished, uh, started rehearsals. And then I toured. After that tour closed, I toured with Showboat for a few months before Livevent went bankrupt and closed and closed down. And then I toured with Cats for a bit. And then I did the first national tour of Fosse, which after a year of touring with Fosse, they put me into the New York company for a bit, and that's how I made my Broadway debut. Oh, wow. So I considered tour more of my college years. Yeah, it was oh, like no. three, three years on the road. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah. How was Fosse? I mean, everyone that I know of Fosse, they love it and hate it. Yeah, it was the best of times and worst of times. Like, absolutely. It re- really, really was. You're like, like, there are moments that I'll never be more grateful for, and then also moments like, maybe I was scarred a little bit from that. Yeah, everyone talks about being scarred and like what it did to your ego and self-esteem, but also then yeah. it also built you up and tore you down. Yeah, yeah. Well, part of it was, for us, we were sort of still auditioning for features while we were while we were in the rehearsal process. So it was a very, com- and we were all very young with the tour. It was a very competitive environment, and everybody was lovely, but it just puts you on this edge of like... Dancing in fear is kind of, you know, is basically yeah. how I related to it. That sort of old school way of like, you know, and Fosse's so specific and, it, you know, it's so quickly sometimes to just get barked at and like, no, wrong, no, or, or not enough. It, it, you know, it needs to be bigger, it needs to be this. But you don't necessarily translate that properly or maybe I'll challenge it, you know, some of the notes weren't given properly where it's like you just feel like I'm just not enough. So then you're like killing yourself trying to 
make something work and you're in a lot of pain and you're like, I'm just so nervous I'm going to get called out and make a mistake. Yeah. But then, at the same, you know, as harsh as some of that was, you also got fabulous praise. And, you know, which can be very confusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so you go, no, no, I do have value. No, no, I am getting this. And then I think with Fosse in particular, and maybe this is the case with any kind of style, you have to do it for a while and you have to keep like for me I kept would keep each each show we had I keep listening to those corrections and how they were described and what you know we got to work with Anne Reichen we got to work with Gwen Verdon yeah you know you're learning from the greats who did it but and you're getting mad at like why can't I look like that while they're doing it and they're like three times your age and they're, and they're still like three amazing. times your age but it, you know but they understood the intention of it and they would talk about intent like it's not like they wouldn't talk about it you know it could just be a curse of being young and just like really wanting to please and I I think doing Fosse and wanting to please is always sometimes never a good comma because you just have to own it yeah you have it like you have to let them come to you you can't just bounce on top of the audience that way and so it takes some time and I remember like after like month three I was like ah okay I understand this my body can understand how to move this a little bit I was like I don't have to work as hard I can work more effectively yeah so in that sense it was like the best of times because you really I mean I really grew up as a dancer doing that show and then also felt really bad about myself (laughs) (laughs) your career as a dancer with moving out and Mary Poppins I mean these are really hard dance and try moving out yeah I was I was bound and determined to get in that show you were yeah uh-huh. Yeah, I, I think I saw it five times. And I, it, it, to me, it was, I loved Twyla Tharp's work. And I loved that show. I just was like, that is, it just looked like a dancer's dream. Yeah. I mean, and a, you know, a very tiring dream. I think I auditioned for the tour for it a couple of times. And then they had a replacement call for uh, someone who was leaving the Broadway company. And it was a snowy day. I auditioned for it. We were at like Trisha Brown Studios, like all the way on the west side. Oh, it was wow. like 55th and 11th. You never have an audition there. No. And there was just a handful of us there. We did some partnering with the dance captain. We did this role, played the drag queen and Captain Jack. I don't know if you remember that. Like everyone sort of transforms into these oh. sort of like, you know, just interesting creatures. And this one guy all of a sudden puts on these like four inch pumps and ties a turban around his head. So you had to prove that you're okay, like, you know, just embracing that side of you. And they offered, it's the only time I think I've ever been offered a job on the spot that day. And Twyla was great. She was like, you know, this is like, you're an athlete doing this show. Like, this is not like another show that you can, if you're dancing, you, you dance a few numbers in. What? In a Broadway show at night and you can, you know, get away with not being diligent about being in shape and all that like this is like this is supreme athlete time because people were getting injured left and right oh, there because yeah they, you know it was hard it was really hard yeah and i was I like no it no i, I get it. it i was like no i get it and yeah. so i you know i was really into pilates at the time but worked with this fabulous trainer named kim jibalisco and she always kept me strong for it and i did it for nine months and i was like okay that's good <laughs> producers was a huge part of your life you did that after fossey yeah were you in the original company i was which yeah. is really great. And oh so, my God. And so you originated track. Did you know at the time that that show was going to be such a huge juggernaut? We knew when we 
our first preview in Chicago. Mm. And then it was like, it became very apparent. We always knew it was funny in rehearsal. And, and like, you know, Nathan was brilliant. And Matthew was great. Their chemistry was so strong. And Gary Beach and Roger mm. Bart and Katie. And at that point, the genius Brad Oscar had not stepped into the role. Oh, yeah. He did it once we got to Chicago, which was also incredible to watch his yeah. story with that. Ugh. I mean, just like... It couldn't happen to a more talented, more wonderful fellow. But so we, you like, knew it was good yeah. and solid. And I mean, you know, you work with Susan Stroman. Uh, she <clears throat> is just like the best. She's the most professional. She's the most kind. She's the most on it. It's just like, it, it, it was amazing how well it was laid out. Yeah. And she wants you, as a dancer, to research. She yeah. wants to be, have, be smart actors. Yeah. And that's what she make. she values dancers as actors yeah, which just, I love I mean it's such great storytelling and yeah. numbers always and you really yeah you have to be a character everything looks great you know it, it wasn't like it, you know we all knew it was good but you just did, had no idea that from the beginning when like Nathan's paper dropped and you introduced him and he says his first joke and it was just the laughter was in, the laughter was insane that first night in Chicago, like, I, I've never n- never seen it. And then to see people like Stroman afterwards and Mel Brooks and just, like, their eyes were so wide, like, oh, my God. Like, we knew, we thought it was good, but we didn't know it was going to connect. Like, it's just like they were craving that kind of comedy. Yeah. Which I guess makes sense now because there hadn't been a lot of that kind of comedy on Broadway for a while. Yeah. You know, it was... 90s were more Sunset Boulevard. And yeah, it was, everything was like that. Speed yeah, it was still the British invasion of like Les Mis and Phantom and all that stuff. And this was like, you know, old school musical comedy. The, the thing I could only compare to at the time was the South Park movie had come out. And it was like, oh, right, which yeah. was like the best musical comedy I'd seen oh, in a long forever. time. <laughs> and it was like, and then we came out after that. I'm like, yeah, that's like people love that sort of irreverent style and, you know, that Mel Brooks humor just really was great musicalized because I mean he only has musical numbers in all his films anyway right. so it's like why not do a full-fledged musical that was thrilling and then we experienced like I remember uh, Stroman saying like this does not happen everybody just know this does not happen yeah all the reviews are amazing you get the record-breaking Tony nominations you get the record-breaking Tony wins you go you know lines down the street for people to get cancellation or standing room it was everything good that could have happened to the show happened yeah and you know it's I've never experienced that since and I'm sure I never will you know I think like Hamilton obviously was that right but like personally like to be a part of something like that and to be on the Tony Awards that night and just just really it just it was such a gift it was oh, yeah. it was such a gift yeah. And how long did you stay with the show? About two and a half years. Yeah. I had to take three months off for a knee problem. I had had chronic tendonitis in my left knee since we teched in Chicago. I was a flipping granny. Oh. And do this jump off uh, off of a little mini trampoline. And, you know, I thought it would be funny to be all bent leg. And, and then I would land hard. Just like flat foot. Like I thought a granny would. Yeah. That's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Don't, another note to kids don't commit too much to something like that because it's eight times a week yeah and I was like if I just had rolled through my feet I would have been fine I remember in tech like you know sixth time doing it you know because I was 22 I didn't want to go like hey can I mark this you know right. I just do it yeah and I was like oh my knee feels a little funny and then 
and it, you know, and knock them with, like, luckily it wasn't anything dramatic. Right. It just sort of brought about this tendonitis inf- inflammation that stuck with me because you're doing the show eight times yeah. a week. And I tumbled, I think, three times in the show. And after the second year, I was like, okay, I'm surviving on too much Advil. I, I'm too nervous about it. And saw Dr. Bauman, that amazing yes. um, sports doctor for the Broadway community, who basically was like, you know, you could afford to take some time off and then you could avoid surgery if if you do. Oh, okay. And so I took a little three-month break and then came back. And it went away? Did you have to get injections or anything? I, no. No, I didn't. And knock on what, you know, every now and then it's my left, it will get inflamed, but I know how to deal with it. Acupuncture is amazing for me. Yes. Just being diligent, rolling yoga, you know, it just, you learn a lot about your body. Oh, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah so. So you had the opportunity to go into Boy From Oz. Yeah. Uh, you did the workshop of Boy From I Oz. Did the, yeah, while we were doing producers, did the workshop of that. With, with Hugh Jackman, is that, was that his name? Yeah, oh, that guy, yeah, he's around somewhere. He's around somewhere. I don't know, I can't remember what he's doing, but yeah, nice guy. Yeah. Yeah, he's but you got chose, some talent. But you chose not to go to Boy From Oz on Broadway. I, I did. Well, la di da. Yes, I'm so, it's not so highly of myself. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, so the reason why is I didn't, like, I kind of always liked playing roles. And originally when I decided to leave school and perform for a while, I was like, I was like I'm going to just dance until I'm 30. And then I'm going to call it a day and I'm going to, like, teach in a dance studio. Yeah. That was, that was my thought. And then I quickly learned... Here, actually, when I worked here, Sacramento Music Street, for the first time in the tent, oh. and I got to do a featured number, One More Angel in Heaven, and Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat, and these audiences were amazing, I got the taste of, like, ooh, if you step out, this just feels, it feels fun, of course, there's something, you know, natural about, like, oh, the applause, oh, that's wonderful, <laughs> but I also, but I think more honestly, it was like, you still like expressing yourself in all these ways, and singing, and and acting and you know and and obviously dancing and so I thought well maybe I do want to like try to make it more yeah. uh, in playing roles and at that point when we did Boy From Oz workshop I didn't cover Leo Bloom originally when we started the show but then I was asked to cover Leo Bloom and one of the greatest roles in musical theater oh, yeah. and it made more sense to me to stay with that show and that was obviously still doing incredibly yeah. well and work on that material than moving to a, sh- a show where it was, I mean, it was a wonderful show. And to be, to witness Hugh would have been a masterclass every night as it was in the workshop. But it was, it felt kind of like a lateral move. And I thought, you know what, I, I think I'd like to pursue this understudying track and see if that can guide me to the next thing. And... And at that point, moving out was coming out, and I was like, "Ding, ding, ding!" Like, I want, right. I want that, yeah, that kind of storytelling and that kind of hard dance and Billy Joel music. I was, no, it makes sense, and I think it's with. like trying to make those right career. Because we'll talk about this more later, but I love the, where your career trajectory has gone. It's uh, very enviable, but it's also when you're getting older, it's funny because I always wanted to play Leo Bloom, and now that I'm auditioning for producers, I'm getting called in for Roger, and I was like, "What?" <laughs> so it's so funny like we we're talking now I really want to play Roger though. yeah but it's uh-huh. weird like how you see yourself as one way and people we were talking about that yeah. earlier the casting directors they see you as something else and that's also fun to realize that like your dreams are allowed 
to change. Yeah. You know what I mean? Also, I would say it depends on, you know, because everybody's opinion is different. Because, like, I would say you could play Leo, you could play Carmen, you could play Roger. Right. You know? Just depending on who's running it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but as of now, I haven't played anyone. No, uh, I'm, I'm kidding. But because uh, I remember you also in the producer. Let's take a pause. Let's take a pause. I'm gonna cry. <laughs> also, you in Keep It Gay. I just, yeah. I just remember you having very little on. Is that true? Yes, that was terrifying. Sadly, the houseboy. Uh, <laughs> yes, they were, I remember the first day of rehearsal. They're like, "You're the houseboy. You're gonna be in a loincloth and nothing else." And I was like, "That's not something typically I would ever think about me doing." <laughs> This is my white average body skin. It was a little, it was like long shorts, like kind of Lunta and the King and I kind. And then we did jeweled pasties on my nipple. I had to spirit gum my nipples for two and a half years. I don't know. That's a lot. That's a lot. Um, You have have heavy nipples? uh, I did. Yeah, I had to shave. Oh my God. Yeah. Body glitter. Did a little ab shading. Pronounce those or draw them on. And belly button ring. And then a turban that they would that they would wrap every night. It wasn't a preset thing. Oh. Which always made my dresser, Ron, laugh. So I was just like, it's like every night we're wrapping this turban. We couldn't, like, I think once the tour happened, they did, like, just a, a pre-sewn turban that you just plop on their head. But it was actually a good time for us to bond every night. Ron Fleming, a lovely guy. He was a lovely guy, but it was always funny. Because wrapping a turban is actually kind of hard. And William Ivy Long wanted it every night. And, like, so he'd have to start over every now and then again. Good thing it wasn't a quick change. No, we yeah. I mean, it would take somewhere between, like, five to eight minutes probably to do it. To wrap your turban. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that, that's a lot of detail. Yeah, he was, uh, yeah. William liked authenticity. Yes, he does. <laughs> so what is your relationship with body image? You know what I mean? It's, because especially if you're nude. Com- it's uh, complicated. It's, it is complicated. Yeah. I was 22 at the time. I was really into Pilates, so my core was relatively strong and, you know, you're just young, your body's in good shape. I remember being terrified just about, just about doing it, but also because it was a comedic moment, mm. you know, like it wasn't about coming out and being like, yeah, I'm the hot guy who's shirtless. It was more about like, I'm the happy gay guy who's shirtless, who's wearing, who's wearing diamonds on his nipples. <laughs> and it, it got a great laugh. And that was way more comfortable for me to do that than if I've, like, I've never had to have my shirt off in any way on stage that is, like, sexy. That's <laughs> how I would say. <laughs> and I'm probably, I don't know, you know, I mean, if the role called for it, I guess I'd do it. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've always had, like, I never realized, I think I have more of a body image now than I've ever had in my life, mm. in some ways. Just as you get older and your body changes, and I, I remember just thinking, like, when I was younger, well, I just want to be, like, that average body guy with, like, above-average talents. You're like, I'm just like everybody else, but I can do all these extra things. But I feel like the industry, like, I mean, you can't help it with on Instagram, but you see all these people in yeah. their Broadway shows who just, like... I mean, they are super models. Super models. And I, like, I didn't realize that was a requirement now. Yeah. So, you know, now in my early 40s, I'm like, does it matter? Well, maybe it does matter. And I don't know. So I'm confused by my body still. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I completely the understand. The issues don't go away. The issues don't go away. So did you go on for Leo? I never did. What? No, I never did. I was the third cover... I was a lot younger than the other, not a lot, oh, that sounds terrible if anyone's, like, just a few years younger, I was in my 20s, early 20s, and, like, was more like the emergency cover, Mm. but then, at that point, after I'd come back from my injury, I think I did the show for another four or five months before I left for moving out, Mm. and 
this the opportunity didn't come, but the opportunity opportunity finally came to play the role here in Sacramento. Oh, how in great! Twenty eleven, and Gary Beach played um, oh. Roger too. So that was really fun. Oh, amazing! Yeah. Amazing. What about Bert and Mary Poppins? Did you go on for? Bert? I went on for Bert a lot. You did. I got to go on for Bert a lot. You're so right for that. That was that was such a fun role. Yeah. Such a fun role. Yeah, because Gavin uh, Lee, who played him originally, because he's from the UK, he had a couple of vacations where it was like two weeks off at a time. So you got like a good chunk of time nice. to actually do the role, which is great. Yeah. yeah. Otherwise, he didn't miss. He just took time off. So in some ways, it was the best of both worlds because it's like you knew you would go, you knew you would get the chance to go on, and you knew when you were going to go on. Right, and you knew it wasn't going to be an emergency. The thing that was shocking when I. I didn't play that well, probably, but uh, when I did it... Little North Shore, right? North Shore, yeah. is that you don't realize step in time you're dancing in a harness. Oh my god, so uncomfortable. I was like... Try- so so limiting. So limiting. <laughs> so you like want to really like dance really hard, like everyone yeah. else is dancing really hard, and you can't. Yeah. Because your legs are numb. Yeah. Because it has to be so tight because you're going upside down. Yeah, and talk about body image for me. I would look at him like, my god, I look as big as a house. Because that, you know, my legs are kind of thick anyway. And then you add that harness on there. I'm like, oh, god. But, yeah, you just can't move. But yeah. it's worth it for the, ta- oh. the going upside down on that. That was, that was just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. It's the coolest thing ever. Coolest thing, coolest thing ever. And then what was the other, another big role that you understood? Buddy the Elf. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a great role. Did you go on for Buddy? No. Because <laughs> we were a limited run and Sebastian was a powerhouse. He pulled through. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. That is very, so you got to yeah. understand. Damn really, it. Damn him. Um, damn him. Yeah, and me. I got to cover Sean Hayes and Promises Promises. Also never went on. Oh. Because he, he was, again, a trooper. He missed after I left the show to do Elf. Oh. Yeah. Well, with Promises, Promises, and also with Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, you got to experience shows that were not well-received. After, right. after you had something like great, like The Producers right. and Mary Poppins, then you had to deal with those two shows. How, how, what have you done in your life to deal with disappointments and upsets like that? Well, y- you know, I- I'm going to say, like, yeah, they were critically disappointing and they didn't last very long, but at the same time, it's like, it wasn't a dance with a vampire. It wasn't like a taboo. Right. You know, we were, st- like with Chitty, we were employed for nine months. Yeah. You know, and I got to go, go on for Raul and, you know, and it was a great company. You know, you, we were in a big theater, so every now and then you're like, oh, okay, and there's a lot of empty seats out there. But with Promises, it was going to be a limited run anyway because of Sean Hayes and Kristen Chenoweth's schedule. And Promises was still, like, the audience's didn't seem to care like they were still loving it they loved the two of them mm. so i have yet to experience at least on broadway a kind of like a show like where you know like we're in trouble in previews because right. i think because both in chitty and in promises neither one would have said we're in trouble in previews oh okay N- definitely not i mean we would make changes but nothing nothing really that significant they just didn't get traction and didn't get the best critical reviews. Mm. But, like, I often, like, wonder, like, what it would be like to be, like, for some reason, taboo always comes into my oh, head right. about that because there was always buzz about problems with it during during previews. There was, like, tension between cast members and, and there was, I think, just a lot of, they did a big advertising campaign, so it was, like, it seemed kind of high profile. Yeah. And, like... I don't know what that would do to a person, you know? I mean, well, how did you feel? <laughs> I'm going to turn the tie to the table with well, Thou Shalt Not. Well, sadly, <laughs> Thou Shalt Not, Steel Pier, and People in the Picture. I've had three oh, huge... Steel Pier? I've had three huge kind of flops. 
uh, it's I mean it's it's kind of devastating, you know, because you you put your heart and soul and you're creating something that you think is magic and people just are telling yeah. you that it, it's not and it's. And you, I think for me, it was you really got to see the cruel side of people. People like were excited that it was bad. You know, it's like, and um, I just love juicy stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was very heartbreaking, and I just was like, because you, know. you still got to go to work, and you have to believe in it. Yeah, right. That's I right. Cause it like that's the tough thing. Yeah, and you still right. want to tell the story, and you yeah. know that there's still going to be that one person out there that it's gonna enjoy it and get something out of it yeah and it's hard because it's like not everybody has a like a, that same worth ethic that some people walk into the building and they're just sad and you're just like you can it can't depending on your age if you're young you're rallying yeah i remember with steel pier uh, i sat shared a dressing room table with casey nicola mm-hmm. and uh it was my brother debut and i was like so excited he was like brad save your paychecks because we're not gonna run. We're not gonna run. And I was like, that is not true. <laughs> I was like, this is the best thing ever. He's like, Brad, uh, it's, I'm letting you know. Start saving your paycheck. <laughs> it just makes me laugh because I, because you're kind of blind to it. You don't want to. Yeah. Realize that that's happening. Yeah. No. Well. Right. Who? Yeah. Who would want to? Like. Oh, great. This is just doomed to close. Now. Yeah. And you put like everything into it, and it's like your dream. Yeah. Because pre- the privy process is hard enough as it is in terms of the hours and fixing things, but then if you add that uh, the negativity on yeah. top of it, and the oh god, we're in trouble, that just must really weigh weigh on you. Yeah. And yeah. it's amazing that just it's that doesn't seem like that many years ago for some of them, but. We, that was even before you had the Twitters and the Instagrams and Message the Facebook boards, all that where people crap. could just be like, yeah. oh, did you go see so-and-so? That's closing. King Kong, awful. You know what I mean? You know yeah. something's awful before you even think about getting tickets. I or, can't, I know. Which, yeah, and like, I will never look at any of that stuff. Like, it just because I feel like it's just, just a recipe to go down a rabbit hole and just think terribly about yourself and your show. And yeah. Like, or, or just like, or then just become a caddy motherfucker. You oh, know, yeah. and just like, just go know. after them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The only time, the, this is when we were doing the Fosse tour, there was something called the Fosse Forum that one of the first message boards or something. And I remember a friend of mine in the show, we were, we heard about it, we found it. And it was so, we were like, oh God, this is so awful. Because they're basically carrying, uh, comparing the tour cast to the original Broadway cast. And, you know, newsflash, they're like, nobody on the tour is nearly as good as the Broadway cast. That's horrible. <laughs> it was like, it was a quick insight into like, I'm never going to look at anything like this again because oh. people are vicious. Oh, vicious. 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 Why? And I go like, why? Who has the time? Why? Yeah. Uh, yeah, do something else. Read yeah. a book. Uh, the first time I remember really noticing who you were was Gypsy of the Year. You did this number when you were in the producers. That was, like, it was unbelievable. Uh, I mean, I, I want to, like, go find it again, but it was about being in the ensemble, but yeah. not being able to live to your full potential, but also not being ungrateful, but also wanting to break out. Yeah. And I just remember, I mean, you didn't sing it. It was a pure dance no, number. it was pure dance, yeah. And I got the storytelling a hundred percent makes me so happy <laughs> I don't remember that. how long that was like probably like long. 2002 or something yeah like and that. I remember yeah. that and that's what the moment I remembered I was like this person I need to like watch out for I don't know how I had the balls to do that honestly, I don't either then. I, look, I look at it now I'm like 
what? Like, who? All right, good on you. I would never do it now, which is, I mean, I'm like grateful that I did. Cause and I, you represented the producer's company. I represented the producer's company, yeah. It basically all came about because, like, I would always, like, warm up on the stage before and just, like, choreograph and just dance a lot of, like, more, you know, modern-y kind of dance stuff before, before the show. And... I had choreographed the first Gypsy of the Year sketch for us that we did as a group, and then no one wanted to do anything the the next year. And Jennifer Smith in our show, who's in it, she said, she said you should do you should just do a solo, choreograph choreograph or dance solo. And I was like, okay. <laughs> um, and and I had been like, it, you know, it had been now a year and a half probably of doing the show. And, you know, you're in your early 20s. It's my first time living by myself in New York and it, what it means to be an adult. It's like my biggest dream I ever wanted came true. And then all of a sudden you're like, well, now what? What do I do? Yeah. And, and, you know, just just had a lot of feelings. And I found it every now and then really hard to recreate that bright musical comedy energy every night on the stage where it wouldn't feel forced. And so it made me think about like you know just the origin of gypsy of the year and like oh we should call it red bucket follies now oh right yes yes that's another conversation (laughs) but it made me think about you know it's the chance to recognize all these men and women who are you know busting their butt in the ensemble and what it takes and it's like it's their moment to step out it's their moment to sort of break free from the chains that are like necessary for like brilliant ensemble work like it's really valuable and it takes it it takes a lot of skill but I like to um color outside my lines a little bit and express myself and I was really into Pearl Jam at the time and the song Alive like the guitar of that it like even though the lyrics are I sort of took the essence of the song to me I'm still alive I'm gonna break free when I can and I worked with a couple friends on making sure that we had some sort of clear story about like I was in a tux and a hat and like when the hat would fall off that would be my chance like that was like my chance to break loose and I kept getting tempted about losing the hat as I was doing this more rigid choreography and then finally I was like fuck it let me throw off the hat let me throw off the jacket let me rip the shirt open and just let me just like move yeah to express myself and it was funny it wasn't until that day that i was like what am i doing but i'm glad i did it yeah no i'm completely glad you did it too because i i remember it like when it comes to your dance training and style i mean this is like a, a taboo subject we talked about a little bit of yeah. dancers like the masculinity mm. of dancers i mean yeah. we, we both grew up in an era where you know, I mean it was very like you're taught a certain way to this, this is how men behave this right. is how men behave yeah and now we're dealing with a wonderful time when people are are fluid we're challenging all of that and right? non-binary but the thing i'm noticing is that i guess people aren't necessarily teaching the kids that you still have to have a character and you still have to have a style yeah and so they're letting them be wonderful and happy and gay and accepting but then when you're playing a cowboy What's what's going on they're not, now? Yeah, they're 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 not necessarily being true to the behavior of what a cowboy of that era would would be. Right. And I love I was talking with Michael Paternostro about this. Yeah. And I love and he said like, I love the word he used. And he said all human behavior is behavior. It, you know, it's like the stereotypical masculine, like you said, like where we grew up kind of guy. That is in itself a form of behavior. It's not necessarily what is natural. Right. But it is what we've known, and definitely a lot of stories in our field 
contain those kind of characters and that, you know, if you're doing like guys, you know, they're doing guys and dolls, like yeah. the crapshoes, you know, these are gangsters. These are tough guys that are West Side Story, you know, it's like where you're using aggression and, you know, stereotypical masculinity strength to, you know, while, while you move. And I do think it's challenging to talk about now because we are in a wonderful age of empowering, you know, everybody in a reckoning of like one way isn't the only way. But I worry sometimes with all of that, we lose sight of just different kinds of behavior and embodying different kinds of people. You know, it's like I would want someone who considers themselves more fluid in general as they move to be comfortable, you know, to want to learn, to want to train and embody a more stereotypical masculine quality as much as I would want someone who's maybe a more straight male dancer kind of attitude to be okay to embrace the fluidity side of that, you know, if they had to do lacage. Right. You know, for me, it's just like, it's just like expanding your, your repertoire. It's just more diversity. And the more diversity, the more employable you are, the more whatever. Exactly. But it is weird to me because, you know, when we grew up, we just, it was more one way because that's just like what the shows were. And I'm, it's fantastic that we are tackling material and creating new works that don't require that. Right. But I also think there's still, I don't want to lose style, you know? And sometimes I feel like, I've, I've taught at various places around the country, just, I guess, and, and I've had discussions with some dance educators, and I go, like, style sometimes itself seems to be lost. It, you, you know, like, the one style now, at least with a lot of dance training, it's like, you have these amazing conventions, and so you think you can dance, and it's really this contemporary, amazingly athletic and technical, in some ways it all feels very similar to me. Right. You know, that it's like this sort of flowy, loosey, I'm really moving my arms right now to describe it. But other kind of style, people don't use as much, whether it's like Jack Cole or, you know, Gower Champion. It's one thing on those things that they're like, you're dancing and expressing yourself. But in musical theater, you're a character who's dancing and expressing yourself. And that character would move a certain way. And I feel like back when I was younger, they... Directors and choreographers had no problem saying, "Butch it up, butch it up," or yeah. like, the, the, "Don't have that your arms don't look make them look so faggy." Right. And it was just like you got it, and it wasn't mean, and I didn't feel like it was ever insulting my sexuality. Yeah, I never did either. And but I feel like now you, the whole PC of how we're to, very sensitive to everything. And yeah. I don't know if that's a de- detriment or not because I also want to think that once you come into the rehearsal studio, you're like today you're. You're a tap dancing piece of seaweed in SpongeBob. I guess maybe just maybe think about it, you know there there are certain trigger words for people, I guess. Mm. So maybe maybe the butch word you know triggers somebody, so where it doesn't trigger us, you right. know. And I'm like, okay, so I don't, you know, I don't want to. I would certainly never want to offend somebody, you know, if 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 whatever experience they grew up with that really triggers something negative in that. But I also don't want to if I'm choreographing something that requires a certain energy i don't want to be afraid you know and that's why i like michael's word about behavior like look the behavior the style for this requires this kind of approach that would be more typically predominantly masculine in nature where you know i I don't know you know whether it's fists in the hands or it's just this like 
you know, more grounded, lower sense or something. But it's hard, you know, because we are, we're in a much needed reckoning with a lot oh, of absolutely. things, just, just racially, sexism, just, just everything. Like, I do think everyone feels like they walk on eggshells a bit. And maybe that's just what has to happen for a while. You know, yeah. I always think like probably there needs to be an overcorrection before we can get back to, or not get back to, it's not even get back to. I shouldn't even say that because like you don't want to go back to the no. way things were, but you want to, you want to progress. Yeah. But you also don't want to be afraid to speak, especially if you're coming from a place of not meaning any sort of ill will or bad intent. You want to produce the best product. You want to be faithful to whatever the story is. Yeah. So it is interesting. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's I mean, like we could talk about it forever. Because yeah. Because you don't want like this. Go, like, what's the big deal? Great, yeah. Somebody says butch it up. But I'm like, well, if we are attacking, you know, once that were norms that aren't necessarily kind in nature. Okay, maybe we should say, you know, like stronger or stronger, right? Yeah. 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 Aggressive or it's difficult. I know when I directed Spam a lot, I had to tell the man knights to like butch it up and they were furious at me. But then I was like, look, they're knights and at this time they would have been killed or you mean you had to butch it up. But there's also a huge gay number in the show. And if they see you... Like, that's your chance. Yeah, if they see you, like, (laughs) acting feminine the whole show, that number's not going to land because they haven't watched the journey of all these butch knights all of a sudden being gay. So it's like... Yeah. It also has to realize the trajectory. If you were... That your houseboy wouldn't have been as funny if they if you were you know right if I was like hey I'm the houseboy yeah yeah so it's it's that's it's, my idea of straight oh uh, well, <laughs> yeah that was good behavior <laughs> <laughs> you've successfully broken out of the track of being in the ensemble so it's like your your number that you did in Gypsy the Year uh, kind of inspired I, you I mean and you've gotten to play roles in Sing in the Rain and Me and My Girl right now you're in Drowsy Chaperone you said that it switched and you uh, my heart jo- care Joseph Joseph yeah. here. But I mean, what it, what made you like you beelined for it? It just seems like you now are on the right path. I mean, how did you decide, and how did you do that? Even before Joe's, I would say like when someone first told me what a triple threat was, mm. I loved that term. I thought that just sounded like oh, the, yeah. the coolest term on the planet. So then I was like, I want to be the best actor, the best singer, the best dancer I could ever be. Like, I want to, I want to, like, in one way, I was like, I want to be like a blank canvas that someone says, this, you need these things. I'm like, got it. Okay. Let me compute, 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 compute. And then here this is. So it was just about taking class and training and, Mm. and reading and, and then trying to be somewhat wise about project. So much of this business, you just have to say yes, and your career sort of <laughs> just, you know, there's only been a few times in my life where I've like, I would say put on the brakes about something. Yeah. But I guess they are important, it, you know, because you do have somewhat of a, a role in how, you, how your career gets shaped. Right. Some of it, not at all. So I just, I really became obsessed with this idea of being the best triple threat I could ever be. I was like, I hope to, and I still hope. I was like, I hope I get to do straight plays one day. Mm. I hope I get to just do a predominantly singing role one day. And then like a checklist with moving out. I was like, for moving out, I was like, okay, my dance dream to be a real, like a concert dancer yeah. was checked. And so that does motivate me. As I'm getting older, I start to also, th- you know, I think about like, you literally just physically start to slow down after a while. Yeah. And you should. And like, and as idealistically, like, as I am about like, it would be nice to just continue to be just a blank canvas that can just paint on, you know, tell me what to do, you know, tell me what you need and I will 
just draw this out of me. You can't do everything. Right. <laughs> and and I and so I'm trying to figure out like how I narrow my interests that way where it's not just only about like I really was obsessed with being diverse. I never liked being pigeonholed. Mm. Especially early on when I was in New York. Casting, you can't help, you know, it's like, you're like, oh, this is your type. Oh, you're this. And you're so nice. You could never play, you could never play a mean person. Right. So, you know, and I'm like, and inside I'm always like, no, I'm more than that. I'm not that, you know, even if some things weren't true, I just never liked someone basically putting a declarative statement about this is what you are right. on me. Inside I always be like, well, I'm going to challenge that. So I'm going to figure out a way to be more than that and now I'm like all right accept more about like who you are your nature and like and then what you can do with it now like how can you be an interesting artist this way with more boundaries and you know narrow your focus more did you have to turn down jobs and auditions well what you know my partner long-term partner took a job teaching at the North Carolina School of the Arts back in 2011 and it was, you know, we really uprooted our lives, yeah. and I still wanted to perform professionally, but it was actually a great time for me, too, to say, you know what, maybe I'm going to put the brakes on, I was on a really good, consistent path of being in the ensemble and covering a role on Broadway, and I was getting a little tired of it at that point, and I was like, how am I going to break out of this, how am I going to, you know, and he was feeling a little like, I need to break out, he was a PSM on Broadway for years, and it was like, the grind, the grind, maybe the idea of giving back and educating and stepping outside of the city, and then for me, it became an opportunity of, maybe I'll try to see if I can work more regionally, and then like, mm. spend you know, a month in North Carolina, and then go somewhere and do a job, and I've been fortunate to get for several years to have gotten to have done that where I did Crazy For You and Hello Dolly and Music Man and a bunch of shows regionally which really required me to like step up as a leading role and you learn a lot about yourself you know what you can bring to it what stamina what that means and you know how to approach a role how to craft it in a way that is interesting and that was a great you know it wasn't a lucrative uh, <laughs> career path but it was for what I wanted to pursue again to like just continue to grow as a performer and an artist it was the right path for me and then amazingly enough I got to go back to Broadway and to replace Rory O'Malley in Book of Mormon so I got to my next Broadway show after that I got to play a principal part so that was and I saw you in that you did you like did a drop split I did yeah I, did I just a, remember that I was like oh I did a, I did a, yeah I put in a cooter slam a cooter slam <laughs> And you were so great in that. And so how did, like, with someone like Casey, did you break out of the ensemble for him? I mean, how did he see you something different? It's a good question. I mean, the, the first time, I had met Casey socially a couple of times, like you, like when he was in Susical, when he was still performing a little bit. And then I auditioned for the original Drowsy out, that was going to be out in L.A. Mm. before it came to New York. And it was a great, for, for Robert... And, oh. and it was a great audition and it was like it was the first audition I've ever had in New York we were like doing exercises in the scene work like we read the blindfold skate yeah. scene and he was like we read it once and he was like okay so now here's the thing it's like so he's gay and he's like trying to hide it and I was like oh this is hysterical it's so funny so then he's like so let's just try it again and so it got to wait play. Robert's gay I mean I don't know I don't know if that was a thought before wow. or if he was just throwing out something yeah. to see what you handle with yeah. it but it was awesome because yeah. it was like the first time you go and I went into an audition where it's like oh someone's asking me 
to do something else versus you just go in and do it and they're like, thank you. You know, and it's either you're right or not. So it just like, I loved him, you know, from that moment. Cause I was like, oh wow, someone's like challenging me to do something. And they laughed. Yeah. I didn't get it of course, but he offered me a reading of a show and we did a two week reading or something. Then I did Minsky's oh, out in okay. LA that was supposed to come, never came in. And then I did Elf with him. And so he, you know, he was always just really loved the way he worked. He seemed to like the way I work. And this opportunity came up for Mormon, and I, I was away doing a mu- production of Music Man in Florida, and I got to self-tape for McKinley. You self-taped? I self-taped for McKinley, and wow. then got to go in, yeah. That's yeah. great. Yeah, so now amazing. you have completely solidified that. I think that is great. Like you're great as Robert. I mean, I think it's you're wonderful in Drowsy Chaperone. When you get a whole eight performances, it's... Oh, I know, right? Like, just when you're like, okay, now I'm going to get it. All right, done. Done, done, done. <laughs> so you mentioned your partner, Frank, and you guys have been together, what, 16? 16 years. And he's a Broadway PSM currently, Harry Potter. Share show. Now he moved. He, he left Harry Potter? Yeah, he, he was the first on Harry Potter, and then he left Harry Potter. He's done three Broadway shows in a year, shout out, by the oh way. Oh my gosh. He did Harry Potter, and then he PSM Torch Song Trilogy, the revival. And then he just took over his PSM for hair for share show. Oh, okay. Yeah. So how I mean, relationships are hard. Period. Theater relationships are hard. Period. Amen. Especially when you're always leaving town. Do you guys like, have a, a secret to your success of staying together? No, or? it's hard work. It's just hard work. It's hard work, and we've you know, I mean, I think with any relationship, you know, you're gonna go through rough patches, whether it's together or like just a circumstance that happens to you or family related or something you know and you you start to get to know the less than pretty sides of each other and I think that's when it really starts to kind of play like well are you in this or are you not you know and I think we both showed that we were in it for the for the good and the bad and my guess is that's just how it how a relationship goes and how life will be but like he knows me better than anybody. I think I know him better than anybody knows him. And we deeply care about each other. And I, I think communication is key. You know, because the times that we've had times where it's like, oh, is this going to work out? It's when we haven't talked. You know, and sometimes talking about things is so uncomfortable. And it's, <laughs> it, you know, I mean, it's just such a, it's so so silly but like you know when it comes down to it there can be still times where it's like I'm a scared little kid you know and I don't want to admit a certain thing but once you admit it then it's like oh that's why you're acting this way yeah (laughs) okay we can work around that that's fine yeah you know but it takes it takes work and also at the same time like I can't imagine I would never want to necessarily go through that process again because you just for me that's lot like when you get to know somebody that deeply yeah and and they accept you for all your faults and all your craziness and vice versa you know and you build a life together you know we've got a house we've got two dogs you know you make those it's not to say that there are not moments you go like god it'd be so much easier if we just you know did our own thing oh right but i don't know i i think we're both we wanted more than that so we've been willing to sort of go through the mud for that and, and did you guys meet on a show no we met at broadway bears you did yes yeah it was it's pretty you know lame in terms of broadway bears we were both in the uh we were in the audience early for the midnight show with our different groups he was doing hairspray at the time i was doing producers and we started making eyes at each other i'm like oh he's cute he's cute his friend came forward started talking to me brought 
Frank's very shy, brought him forward. Uh, and I'm shy too that way. And we started just chatting for like 45 minutes and it was really nice. And we're like, okay, well, in like a minute, our friends are going to, you know, take off their clothes and we're going to slip dollars in their G-strings. <laughs> so, but this has been nice. Do you want to exchange numbers and have coffee sometime? And we had a date like a couple of days later. Yeah. Wow. And you were you pretty young or? I was young. I was 25. Wow. 2003. That's amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's just, it's so impressive that I know how hard the work is. You know what I mean? And I'm only now recently like, oh, I'm ready to put the work into it again. And so knowing what people have to do, especially in showbiz relationships, because it's, you're constantly out of town. You're constantly, the jealousies, because you know you're like, speaking of body image, like now Frank is around some of the naked, hottest men on Broadway. Oh my God! And you, of all you I do is feel him. bad about myself. Yeah, you're like, like, you're like, oh my God, that. Oh Jesus! You know, <laughs> and you, it's, so it's just you know, it's like what, we're worse, we're terrible to ourselves in our head. Yep. Thing, but communication definitely is key. It re- yeah. Yeah. It really is. It really is, and you know, in a, in a good way, you know, as you, the more years you spend together, the more you can also pick up on the signs. Where, like they're not saying exactly what is going on and so you know you can talk like that's another easy way in if you honestly communicate yeah exactly (laughs) so one thing that i I found that i love about you is that even though your career path is like so amazing your principal 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 role i bumped into you at rib the greer like a year ago oh yeah at the open call of charlie and the chocolate factory after it had gotten its notice just for some random ensemble track so i was like I just assume that you only, if you are going to do Broadway Ensemble, you go to invited calls, agent appointments, and here you were covered in sweat at an open call. Like, you're just no joke. I need a job, Zach. That's <laughs> <laughs> the only way I can put it. You know, it's you know what like, I mean? it never ends. But you were just like McKinley in Book of Mormon, and now you're trying to be an Oompa Loompa. Yeah, I mean, but you know, I went away for two years to teach full time, and you know, when I came back, you, you do feel, you know, you're like, oh, right, yeah. Broadway, the world just keeps on going you, you know they're not like oh we're gonna hold your slot <laughs> you, you know <laughs> so I'd show up at auditions they're like oh I thought you moved oh you're back it, you know mm. and it was definitely eye opening and also entering a different age bracket you know yeah. it's like I feel like right at the point it's like I'm too old to play young and I'm too young to play old for a lot of things. My agent was like, you know, there looks, I think Charlie and Chocolate Factory may need a couple of replacements because they're closing and other people are getting jobs. And I was like, well, I'm going to go in. Show your face. Yeah. No one's going to know you're around unless you show your face. Yeah. But then I also will say, it, you know, there is that part of like, oh, I thought I was past this. <laughs> I thought I was. And then you quickly learn, you'll never be past this. Yeah. And, and also, regardless of what level you make it at, Every, you know, that's why this business is so crazy in some ways, too. It's like you're constantly always in one way trying to prove yourself and to stay relevant, you know, and I think people who've got Tonys feel that way. Oh, yeah. People who are trying to make it to Broadway feel that way. And people who made it on Broadway are still trying to stay on Broadway feel that way. Yeah. And that can be a little mad. You know, I have a friend of mine that's like, that says I love she's like you gotta be a mental health super ninja to last in this business and I'm like yeah that's kind of true there's so many factors that can upset you oh yeah (laughs) you know I would say would be justifiable to go like I played this Tony nominated role in a Broadway hit for years and now you know someone who's never been on Broadway I'm dancing right next to and odds are they're gonna get it (laughs) but if you wanna do it you gotta 
you want to do it. I mean, the biggest thing for me now, especially, is like, no, I just want to work. Yeah. I want to work. I want to work. And I don't want to necessarily kill myself for, like, no reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I'll shape my, ba- you know, I have boundaries a little bit. But, like, I, I think to be a working actor ultimately is the greatest gift. I think I used to want to be like a star. You know, you'd have those dreams when you were young. You're like, oh, I want to be a star. I practiced my Tony acceptance speech. I'm like, you know, I just, I want to work. Yeah, you know. <laughs> I, want, I, want, I want to be respected by peers. I want to be... Um, Pay your mortgage and yeah. if your dog goes to the vet, be able to afford it. Yes. <laughs> and now it's like, I don't want retirement. You know, I want a decent, I want a decent pension. It's amazing in this show to hear like people like Ron just talking about retirement yeah. and pension. And you're just like, oh, wow. You're right. That is, that's real. That is definitely real. That's real talk. Yeah. I did this weird benefit a couple of weeks ago with Katie Huffman. She just was the speaker. She came up to me and like I was like not sure what's going on. She's not sure what she's doing with her life. And she has a Tony. She yeah. like just grabbed my hand and said... You're going to be okay. I'm going to be okay. We're both going to be okay, Brad. And I was just like... Oh, that's that's lovely. And it was... I mean, I didn't have to say that much of like... You know I mean? You just say... No, you just know. You just know what's, what person in this business. And I was like, she freaking has a Tony. She was the toast to Broadway. And now she doesn't realize what her next journey is. You know? And I was like, okay, everything is fine. You know, everything's relative. Yes. It's always changing. Yeah. Always changing. Always changing. And now I, rec- I recognize that. Isn't that. I know, it's crazy. Right? It's crazy. Yeah. It's never what you think it will be, and nor should it be, I guess. Because, But yeah, you're like, I, you know, you win a Tony, and you're like, well, then I should just be set. Of course not. Of course not. And it's then like, you, yeah, you, you have to backtrack. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you reinvent, you do whatever. Yeah. She's wonderful, though. She's so sweet. So, so this past six months before we did this was one of the first times ever, like, I felt like auditioning was my full-time job. And I was able to, like, have an appointment and read an audition. And one of my best auditions I've ever had was um, for High Button Shoes for the uncle. And I walked out of that audition, and Jay Bender walked out with me, and he was like, Brad, that was really good. I just called my agent, and I was like, I just booked this. And then my agent called me back. He's like, yeah, um, they're going a different way. When I saw that you got it, I was like, absolutely. You're it, like, fuck. No, it, it, no, it was just so great because it's like one of those things when you're like, oh, of course, someone brilliant got it. And I love it when people that I know are talented and deserve it get stuff over me. But it was just so funny because I was like, oh, of course you got it. I was like, that was one of my best auditions ever. I feel the same, Brad, when people, yeah. No, you know? Yeah. And there's a couple people that I'm up against a lot that I love it when they get the job because I'm like, oh, all right, you know. Yeah. So it's... It can, it, it can exist on both levels, right? You oh, know, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because there's nothing worse than you're like, that person got it just because they have biceps and they're sleeping with them. Even if it's not true, you just make that up. Yeah, exactly. You well, know? Yeah, we, I mean, we're human. <laughs> we have to... <laughs> and, we can't be perfect. And when you got that, I was like, oh, well, of course they're going for... He, he's brilliant. Did you... Let me, let me ask you this. When you read, did you have to read as like an, like an older person? They didn't have me read, like, old. I kind of read a little bit older, and I put a little gray in my hair a little bit. See, this is what, like, I thought this was really bizarre. I had worked with John Rando recently, and, and I've known Sarah Gleeby, the choreographer, mm. for, for, for a long time. And I was away, and I had, to put, uh, I had to put myself on tape initially for that. And I was like, this is either going to be a hit or a disaster, because it was... The breakdown said, must play significantly older. Mm. And I was like, okay. So I had glasses, you know, and I was like, like a little rickety. And you're like, 30. I'm like, oh, so this character's like like a dirty old man kind of thing. <laughs> and 
And I got it. I was like, oh, I guess this works. I was like, so am I, are we doing age? What are we doing? Yeah. I get there and they're like, no, he's your age. And I was like, what? And they showed me a picture of the original guy, which d- did. I looked like him. And I said, well, what was the deal about the must play significantly older in the breakdown? And he's like, oh, I think that's something Jay Bender put in. Just oh, my gosh. Hysterical. <laughs> it's like, I mean, yeah, because it ended, it ended up not being anything like that. Yeah. I mean, it was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, those, they're so fast. Fast and furious. So fast. So you're about to get another checkbox on your thing. You're about to go do a non-singing, non-dancing role. Yes. On the beautiful tour. Yeah. So when does that start? We start at a rehearsal August 31st, I think. Wow. And then go out mid-September. Wow. And how long is that? It's like a school year. As I put it. It's oh. like the tour is booked from like mid-September to mid-June. Oh, okay. That's great. Yeah. Not bad at all. Yeah, not bad at all. Fast stops. And I haven't been on the road in 20 years. You haven't? I haven't been on the road in 20 years. And it's like a lot of split weeks, the occasional one-nighter. Oh. It's like a seat at Category 4, I think. None of that existed. when This was pre-9-11 when I was on the road. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, all right, this is new. I, I mean, I'm thrilled about it. I love the show. I love the role. And I'm so curious about what this is going to feel like. It, you know, it's like just doing the straight acting Role and like the thought of like waking up every morning going like oh how's my how's this how are my legs am I okay like what do I have to do today to like keep us going and I'm thrilled about it I'm thrilled about it it's gonna be really exciting well this has been an amazing amazing interview we uh, talked for a long time we did talk for a long time yeah. of your whole career do you have like something that stands out as like being something that's just ma- most magical yes the actor's fun performance of the Book of Mormon. That was the, I was like, okay, if I never perform on a stage again, that was everything. Really? Yes, because you know, actor's fun, first of all, the actor's fun is amazing. Yes. So the support the actor's fund is fantastic. And they're the best audiences ever because yeah. it's like an audience of your peers. They get it. They know that you're doing like your ninth show at the end of the week. So, yeah. And they, but they want that energy. The reception after Turn It Off and the laughs during it. It was just such a raucous, joyous evening that felt genuine as opposed to like, I'm going to over respond because everybody needs it. It just felt like, like a fantastic opening night performance. Yeah. And I just remember just that is like everything to play a great role in a brilliant musical with a brilliant cast, brilliant crew, just brilliant everything. And to get that, I was like, how lucky am I? Yeah. And I was like, I'll never, you can't ever forget about a night like that because not everybody gets to do something like that. Yeah. And it was magical. So, you know, I've, it doesn't get lost on me how lucky I've been and the experiences that I've had that just are awesome and so if it all ends tomorrow I'm like you know what I had a good ride that's great I had a good ride (laughs) so what song would you want played out at the end credits yeah it's funny I think I think the Pearl Jam song I was thinking that I I need to download that (laughs) yes and I want to see can you find that video I mean is it online anywhere I've never tried to look because I'm weird that way. Like, I don't like Googling myself. You know, somebody's like, you should. You need to know what's out there. But I'm like, yeah, I get nervous. I have a videotape of it that I, on my old VHS television that I just watched, actually, like for the first time in like 15 years, was cleaning things out. And I was like, oh, look, that's here. I need to transfer. I want to transfer, like, to DVD and put it online so I don't know maybe in here I'll upload it to YouTube yes oh no because it's it's brilliant so what's the name of the Pearl Jam song Alive 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 well thank you very much thanks Brad that was fun
Wow!